You are listening to TV on the Throne, a Game of Thrones podcast brought to you by TV8MyDinner.com. I don't pay you to put evil notions in my head. The ones already there don't need company. You pay me to kill people who bother you. Evil notions come free. It's Sean and the Goober. And the douche. That's another thing from, from Mark the Greg. You're listening to the douche. Nick Kroll is so funny. Like, they keep bringing him in and stuff. He actually got his own show, and it was really You're listening to TV on the throne. My name is Sean. I'm sitting here with Andrew. Hello, sir. We are discussing the seventh episode of, of the third season. The Bear and the Maiden Fair. Which is that song they've been singing for like three yeah, episodes. Yeah, but we didn't know there was like a literal, literal tradition. Like, we, we don't want to give it away, but... but metaphor. The the it's a show. literal acting out I say I don't want to give it away because you could be watching. Like, what if I'm listening to the podcast while watching the episode? Like, oh, then I don't want to give away the ending, but... Yeah. But it's much more literal than I would have thought. Yeah. You know you're in a bad situation where you're actually relieved that someone got thrown in a bear pit. Yeah. We're like, oh, good. <laughs> when they're all chanting and he runs up. I guess we'll get up to that. Yeah. But you're actually like, oh, good. They just threw her in with a bear. It's like, Jesus, is that how bad things are? It's like, yeah, the way this show goes, that's a fighting chance to be thrown in a gladiator pit with a bear. At least they gave her a wooden sword. <laughs> yeah, they could like, yeah, they pan up on that. On the they dolly up on the actual the bear page like oh god thank god she's not being raped I know it's like that's how weird the show has got it's like oh man at least it's like good lord the good news keeps getting weirder yeah but but that's that's near the end we don't want to give it all away like we'll, we'll build to that because they built to yeah it. but just to let you guys know that's that's where things are headed. Now, as we open the episode, yeah, we were just at episode seven, ass and titties. Yeah. Because this is one of those episodes I love. This is a, HBO has, and this isn't in the very first episode scene, but it's very early on. HBO has these awesome, and we've said it before, where they just have these moments where they're, they're it's like they're reading a scene to the producers and they're like, boring. <laughs> they're just sitting around talking about stuff. It's like, well, here, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. I think I could save this. What if she butt-ass naked on a bear rug? Like, uh, no, no. Oh, oh, okay. Now I'm visualizing it. Now it's important. She's always framed in the shot. Perfectly framed. Like, it's like a, it's like a, a Gil Elvgren uh, pinup painting or, or one of the old classical kind of playboy centerfolds. Yeah. Like, it was like, this is like cheesecake porn before they could get really serious with it. Juxtaposed against a pretty serious character conversation, piece of dialogue. 
Well, like if you it. watch, I mean, you, you probably didn't get a chance. They had in the inside. Oh yeah, I saw Game it. of Thrones thing. Oh, yeah, did you where they're like, like saying that? Yeah, she's they talk about that scene how like there's nothing going on in that scene, <laughs> and it's like they say, well, this, there's nothing happening in the plot, and there's nothing. I mean, so it's really important for us for to get this scene in here. But so it's like perfect time. It's just <laughs> yeah, some nudity. Exactly. It's like because it's like, but they always try to give you the artistic motivation where it's like you see, it's it's like she's luring him away from this this darkness and war. It's like I get you, I hear you. You don't you don't have to sell it. But I'm just saying, it's like it's like this scene that's like we wrote it a different way, but then we're like, what can we do? It's like I think this could be the ass scene of the episode. I think we were looking around, like I think you know, in a lot of scenes we couldn't work it in, but it's like they just got finished doing it and they're talking about they had a baby. We could work a little ass in here, and that's fine. This yeah. is HBO, damn it. They'll bring it this episode. We have whole episodes where there's like neither. And then, then we go full frontal just, just to make you remember that you're watching HBO. I wonder if we could actually, like, you could almost do a survey of those scenes, like, because, I mean, them saying that, I mean, they actually explicitly say that there's nothing in that scene that's needed for the story. It's all just character stuff. And I wonder if you could go back and if any scenes where they just had nudity like that, you could say, you could also say that about, I'm trying to think. I don't know, like, like they, I mean, they have these, in- they're these unnecessary moments. Where like the one like, with Podrick and all the girls, like well, that really yeah, wasn't that's necessary. Popcorn, but I mean, when you think <laughs> about like, like we were talking about, like, Littlefinger has this speech while there's like like sex and going on. It's like that's an important character moment, but it didn't it didn't mean we couldn't have some sex and going on. Right, but that's what I'm saying though. These scenes that aren't bringing I mean, the taking the, the plot forward, the, the those are the ones that have all the nudity. Springs, yeah. Like that's not that's a sex and moment. And that's the purpose of it, but it's also important that these two characters have like a romantic arc, so it matters. But its purpose is clear. It almost does right. feel like, aside from the grotto scene, but it almost does feel like they have these scenes where it's like, boring! How do we justify having this in here? It's like, you can't just have a sword fight during dialogue, but you can have a naked lady. Yeah. A lot of their major I, scenes happen in brothels for no reason. And it, well, there's a reason. Yeah, the, the reason <laughs> is that ass. And that's sort of what, and, and, and well, you, you can make fun of it, but you also do appreciate it. Yeah, well, this one it's like I said, like the warning before this one. It said nudity. I was like, okay, I, I thought they'd already gotten that out of the way. And there's like strong sexual content. Like that's what I like. And you were like, oh, I hope someone's not graphically raped. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope they don't ruin it. And it's I think that strong sexual content comes from that. I mean, they have that scene where they talk about him having a baby. They're having a baby, and that's an important scene because I mean, yeah, but that the, could the, be the, the other one is where they're trying but, to just get him revved up. That's later on with Theon where they. Well, not just that one. That, I, I don't even know if that's it, that one, but the one that's really strong, like graphic, like where that guy's explaining to John how to make love. I guess. But like that's the one that's actually that's the most like talking, graphically. Though. I would hope. Yeah, but like as far as like is where like because they have a constructed scene of sexual torture. Again, it's like they're sort of like giving you a break. You're like, oh god, what are they going to do with Theon now? It's like, no, they're just going to wind him up a little bit. Like, oh, thank god. And like, and then they're going to castrate him. It's like, oh, jeez, no. Yeah, oh my god, that was. <laughs> and you're like, still, and yeah. they leave you hanging. <laughs> like, is that what happened? Because you, Good you Lord. don't know what the guy's <laughs> about. Like, you don't know if he's because, like I said, up to this point, it seems like he's doing things that create minimal damage but maximum trauma. But it's like, if you do that to him, he might die. Yeah, and then you're just worried that... 
I don't know, man. That's like you're watching the show. You're just like, oh God, please don't show something. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah, don't really, this. I don't want to see it come <laughs> off. I don't even want to see and it come just, out. But I certainly. I mean, I almost think that he did cut it off though, because I mean, they did the whole blur, intentional blur I know, and they away left from it, it there for a while. Like they left it there long enough for you to think, just like, oh, this isn't just a comfortable cutaway. Yeah. I'm watching the episode again while we talk, and it's on that scene of just the extended ass scene of Rob and his <laughs> wife, where he's like trying to do, he's like doing serious business. He's like, I'm just writing a letter to my mother with her feet in the air and stuff. It's like, what are you doing to me? I mean, all those things are good. I mean, I do agree that it's a good character moment for them because you don't, like we already said before, like the their kind of whole romance is pretty rushed in the second season. So you're like. You don't. I mean, this is the biggest scene they've ever had, where the, as far as explaining their relationship as, as a couple, because yeah, they also and, had like a culminating sex moment where we got to see a little bit of skin. Like, there's always like a moment where, like, yeah, she's a real character, but check this out. I'm like, whoa, yeah. Like they're all real characters, and then and then the dress comes off. I was like, good lord, yeah, it's like finally to be a feet. <laughs> well, it's like, well, no, she's actually a, a series regular now. Like to be a series regular, you have to show for a woman, you have to show. <laughs> Yeah, really. There's only a few that men get away with far less. <clears throat> men get to show a little. Rob shows a little bit of booty in this too. It's not yeah. like. And Theon, poor Theon, not, he's like at the worst. Like I, I don't mind doing a nude scene, but does it have to be this? It's like, yeah, you're humiliated. Yeah. Like I don't want that. The context of that. Oh man, that's that seems brutal. I want to have that's... the ass in the firelight scene like Rob has. Like no. At least, I mean, this is the first pale ass on a rainy day in the dark scene. I mean, this was really painful to watch in a sense, but like, I mean, at least the tort, I mean, that's the thing we're always talking about. It's like, in this episode, I mean, you could argue the last two episodes have been slower for some parts, you know, they have these action sequences like the wall and the, the bear thing. Those are the set pieces. But I mean, as far as through the episode, they're all just really kind of plot pieces and stuff. But I, I still was talking about the episode today, and I was like, it's still, this show's so great, because in each of these things, people are fundamentally changed, like, the, their course, and their, you know, even if it's a quiet scene, something's happened. Even the Rob one, like, mm. they're going to have a baby now, and that's a big deal for that, you know, for them. Yeah, they're either evolving, but, or they're actually challenged in some way, but it's all, but, but that's it's all why about evolving. The, well, that's why Theon's thing, I mean, I mean, it's as stupid as it sounds, the big complaint is that he's just been getting tortured, and nothing's been happening. I mean, he did have the big moment where he kind of like renounced, you know, his father, his, and said Ned was his real dad, and that was a great moment. But then they're back to torturing, and you're like, ah. Oh. But this is like, oh my god, he is changed. That's a big change that, going well, forward be for like, him. Yeah, that's worse than the Jamie thing. At least they don't yeah. show it as seriously. Because <laughs> you wonder if is that really they're really getting it? Because because like I said, this is an injury that that could easily kill him. And almost certainly would just leave him completely broken. Like, you can't expect the character to have any development at that point. If he's just that completely unmanned. Right. But at the same time, we're not really looking for Theon to be redeemed. But it makes me wonder, again, like, I I know early on, you know, when this character was first introduced, we're like, is he a bastard? Like, they called him bastard, but it was just like a turn of phrase. But it's like... You know, is he going to turn out to be related to Theon? He seems a little too old at that point to be, like, Theon's son, because Theon's not that old. But, but again, there's, like, a personal element to the to the sexual torture. 
where he's like, you're, yeah. you're so well received because oh, of like feel, all this. You know, and like, you know, you know my well, God, I, is it like he done something that, that this kid is I particularly. Still think, I still think it's, this is like a mini spoiler. I didn't get spoiled by anything like, um, and this is just information you could get by just looking and not, not, this is an information like, um, reading ahead in the wiki thing, but they had like, um, in a couple of design sites I look at, they had like some guy made like all the house sigils or whatever. Like they just did like a fun, like kind of modern interpretation of those house sigils. And there's like, I mean, there's like 30 of them, all these different houses and stuff. And they're kind of cool looking. But remember I said it was the, I said it must be that. And because they mentioned this in the show, but you just don't, you're like, you don't think about it. They said that when Jamie, when the lock and them come upon Jamie and Brienne at first, and he says, oh, house Bolton. He's like the, uh, you know, sigil, the flayed man against the thing. Like that's their sigil is that torture thing. <laughs> it's just, it's just, so, I mean, just such a sad sigil. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't, it's like the torture thing and like two knives. And so, I mean, and he says that, so it's not really a spoiler for us. It's just that we didn't connect the dots. Well, and that was and one I, of his guesses, but then he ends up, you know, telling him he's Well, wrong. he didn't – no, no. He said he was the Costark people, the people that Rob beheaded. He didn't say Bolton. Oh, okay. And I, I've been saying that he's Bolton just because he seems like those people are demented. There's people throwing people in they a bear are, pit. They are, because, like, the Lord Bolton can act like he's all right, but he has a bear pit. It's like not like they put that right. together. He's like, oh, Bolton's on the move. Let's let's put it together, a bear pit. It's like you had a pit and, so, and a yeah, bear and to so, put in it. So, like, he had, to, he had to be on board with that. Yeah, and so most of them are all at Hall, which isn't their house. I mean, they have a castle somewhere, so I guess that's I, – I, I mean, I'm 100% sure they're whatever castle Bolton is. That's where they are, because that's their sigil. Is that X thing? Is that you know the big like kind of rack? Is the flayed man? Is there? So well, that just tells me right there who who they are. So mm-hmm. we're we're renowned for our torturing of people. <laughs> yeah, that's it's kind of our thing. It's our yeah, sigil. We, like you didn't guess our, this, Theon. Yeah, it's our, it kind of makes Theon look like maybe an idiot. That's like even why like, that guy is like you know. Yeah, that's exactly who I am, moron. I mean, because in that world, they all know the sigils. You know, they all know them by like at least the. The highborn people do. They, well, there's like, a whole conversation about yeah. the, the bannerman and, and the honor of the bannerman and all that kind of stuff. That's like between John and his lady. Yeah, how important they are because she's like you and your roads and your pants. That was a really. Things. I loved like, all their interactions. All the, she has a lot of fun moments because she like makes fun of like his ideas of society, but at the same time she like sees like a windmill and she's like, "Is that a?" Palace is like Jesus She's like, Christ. what, what king on, built that? He's like, yeah. she's like, well, what, women faint when they see it. Like, what is faint? What does faint like, mean? Yeah, the one at one <laughs> on the one hand, it's like you're really impressed by something dumb, but on the other hand, you are really tough, so it's hard to say. That was a really neat scene because it's like that first part of it. I mean, it's like a three part scene. Like there's the first more part of John of that that buildup is there's more of that buildup in this whole episode than anybody else because right. they keep cutting back like that's sort of the crux of the episode, even though the the main scene and the, the titular scene is what happens at the end. But but what the episode is building to, and kind of what this season is building to is what's going on with John. Right. And you know he's still wrestling with the idea of like, is he really going to betray the the Night's Watch? But he wants to be with this girl, but he doesn't want her to march off with these morons. And she's like, what what you see now that they've gotten over the wall is how actually ignorant she is. Like, she doesn't even know what a construction of anything is. Like, she thinks that's impressive. It's like, you've heard heard all these stories. It's like, you know, like six times your people have come across the wall and six times you've been slaughtered. It's like, how do you know that? It's like, because I'm educated. Because we teach people things where I come from. And you don't know yeah, anything. That, 
Yeah, and that's and the, but that was and yeah, I love that like that whole exchange. Though he's like, you guys are not gonna win. It's like seriously because Even I mean, all. if all the six, yeah, because if the seven kingdoms turned against them, it's like they're just a pack of people. I mean, they might have a lot of people, but like you said, they don't have the weapons. Like they have, they don't have the discipline. Or they don't anything. have anything. It's like you're not even gonna yeah. make it against like Castle Black, and that's full of our retards. Right. <laughs> it's like you don't even have a concept of what the seven kingdoms is. Like, you know what a house is. You're impressed by that. It's like you've been brainwashed yeah, into this suicide mission. Yeah, that's what's weird. It's like before this episode, you really had more respect for them. But then you kind of lose it this one with her her reactions. And then, like, the other guy who's supposed to be so smart, he's, like, all professing his love for her and stuff. It's like, what is going on here? I know. Here? It's like, you These just guys tried are... to murder me. These guys are all over the place. I wouldn't do that <laughs> if you were my lady. Like, yeah. Good God. Do you like him because he's pretty? Yeah, it doesn't hurt. But yes, that's what we're genetically engineered to be like. Yeah, and he's also nice. It's like, so you're you're o for two. So I thought that like, do you that like stuff him was pretty interesting. He's nice to you and I, looks I, I think, good. I mean, it culminated nice into he never tried to murder you once. Yeah. Well, look at me, little lord. Yeah. And then you get to cut to Sansa. I do like this moment for Sansa because she's finally starting to realize what a moron she is. Because she has the speech that every, it's like the yeah. Theon moment where it is like, oh, if it's so stupid, it's like, yes, utterly. But what's sad is it's like it's not any better because what you're you're lamenting the fact that they're going to pair you off with Tyrion. And he's like the only nice guy you've ever met. Yeah, I mean, Marjorie makes a pretty good case for him, too. She's like, has he been nice to you at all times? Has he tried to be nice? He's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, well, I don't want to sleep with them. Like, basically, and he's like, well, he has a pretty good reputation for that, too. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah, she's like, how do you know you don't like dwarf until you try it? Yeah. She's like, how do you know these things? Did your mother teach you? Yes, dear. Like, she, goes, she goes, yes, silly girl. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the southern phrase for that is, bless your heart. <laughs> That's what Southern yeah, say. Like, That's what she's saying. Yes, silly girl. Bless your heart. I thought she was at least going to drop the... Uh, for a second, I thought she was going to drop the Loris being gay. Yeah, to, like, to make it easier. <laughs> like, he's a sword swallower, don't you know? Because then she's like, well, you don't have anything to... Because that was the only thing. She's like, but Loris would have been so great. But it's like... But I think she it's not really propriety that keeps her from doing that. It's the fact that like, she probably realizes that Sansa wouldn't even really fully understand what she's talking about. It's like, how do right, you know right. all these things about love? It's like, oh, God. Because I did, I'm idiot. Get it together. It's like, come on. Yeah, let the girls breathe a little. Let your power shine. He's far from the worst Lannister. Is the saddest thing you could say about Tyrion. Yeah, and that's like, and then there's there's seeing like the Tyrion follow up with her and him and Shay. He's so defeated now. Like he's like, I, I like that idea though that well cause he because is, in my head I was like, well he can't do anything, but she doesn't respect that at all. He's pathetic like, in this decision right. because he totally can. She's like, why don't you just come with me? We well, could totally leave right now. It's like, what would I do? It's like, he's like, he, he's so bound. Because it's like, he well, says he it's has a good point, family though. honor, but at the same time, he's sort of bound to the family wealth, too. He's like, what am I going to do? But I think, I think he has a good point, though. I mean, I really, I relate to that. I mean, I, I mean, not personally, but I mean, I relate to his, that, that idea that, 
I mean, outside of the only thing he has is his family, and that's how he can kind of play this game and have any kind of power. If he just went somewhere else, he'd just be a midget. Well, and that's and but, he wouldn't but be her like idea he would be like, juggling or. But you are that here, and and you brought yourself up because your family doesn't respect you any better than being a dwarf. In fact, they hate you for it. And you brought yourself up. Yeah, but he still up, had all the money just, and all that. I mean. He has all that. I mean, he is a lord, though. I mean, that's who the people. But it shows that I mean, that he's all talk in that respect, because his whole thing is like, you know, I didn't have to be a dwarf. I I trained my mind and I talked myself out of it, and I never let anybody take anything from me. But then, when you give him an opportunity to really prove that about himself, it's like, well, then go out on your own. You don't have to be a dwarf out there either. So, I still but you're think saying you're hiding behind your family's wealth. I think I still think he has some kind of like power. But I mean, he wants to be some in some kind of powerful position or like some kind of i mean and he just won't give that up i mean he just has some ambition that i mean obviously i mean he has the the mind for it, but i think that's his whole play and he just feels like that would be just totally giving up and just letting those people win well i think that there's something to that as well but it does come down and what she's really on to him about is that but it comes down to you you're using that as an excuse to maintain this sort of wealth and affluence and you don't have to go out in the world right so at the one hand you're saying you won't run away but on the other hand it's sort of running away to stay because you're just doing what they tell you to do even though it's what you don't want to do and what you think is wrong And I wonder, you know, he keeps saying, "What does the deal with Tyrion's first wife? Is this something?" They 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 talked about it in the uh, first season when um he tells that story when he first meets Shay when Bronn mm-hmm. gets Shay when they're at the war camp and then they're playing like truth or drink basically yeah. or if you tell and a I lie, remember that drink. but but it seems like well he tells a story that's like it when they were like when he was like sixteen and Jamie was like eighteen or twenty or something. I think Jamie is older than him, right? Yeah, he um, yeah, because he killed his mother. So, this whole thing where he saved the girl supposedly, and yeah, it was all and he fake. saved a girl, and he like, and she like, they fell in love and got married the next day, and he was so happy, but then he realized that his brother had um set it up just to be nice. I mean, his brother wasn't doing it to be cruel. His brother thought he should be with a girl, but he knew he wouldn't be with her just a whore at that point because he was more honorable, I guess. Than, and so he set it up and. It kind of went farther. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, you got married to oh, her? Oh, God, that's not what I meant. <laughs> but then the, before he, you know, I, I guess before Jamie could even kind of help him or figure, like, what the hell's going to happen, his dad found out. And then his dad brought her to their house or whatever and then had all of his, like, knights, like, like um have sex with her while he watched. And he had to do it last. And they all and she got paid. I was like, yeah, it's just really <laughs> graphic, like, gangbang thing. And I was like, good Lord. And so that's what they're referring to. That's why he's so yeah. <laughs> seething. I remember about that. that story. I just didn't remember the element where they actually said that they were married. I remember that he fell in love with her. Yeah, they got married. They got married like the next day. So it's. I mean, it's his fault too for being a dumb kid, but not the fault that Tywin did. Good lord, that guy. He is like the. He is the most evil. He's worse than Joffrey. Well, in a way, in this he episode, is you actually see that Joffrey <laughs> is just crazy and stupid, and so he's a menace yeah. and a monster, but. But he was He's just bred <laughs> to be horrible. Yeah. Like, it's like he almost, not to say he didn't have a chance, but he had very little chance because he was just bred and raised to be horrible. But Tywin is smart. Tywin understands and he has a lot of control over who he is and and 
what his circumstances are, and he chooses to just be horrible. Like, yeah, to the point where even where cruelty is is got to be some. It has to give him pleasure because because he does it so well. And just like we were saying with his, <laughs> his like sort of rivalry with the Tyrells, it's like they're actually helping you with their scheming. Because they're actually making the kingdom look a little kind. And it it harms you none at all. But the fact that they may have something for themselves that you could have makes you want to... (laughs) It's like Apple versus Microsoft. I should say Google versus Microsoft. Apple's just as bad. But it it is like, but we could charge for that too. But everyone wins here. It's like, I don't want everyone to win. I want them to lose and me to win. It's right. like that's the truly evil idea. It's like I don't feel like I've won until I can see a loser before me. And like, jeez, that's hard. <laughs> but that's what he's like. It's like there has to be a class system, and I have to be the upper class, and I have to see the people beneath me. It, does, it has nothing to do with all of us getting what we want or being happy. It has nothing to do with happiness at all. And it's just he he's like the darkest of all of them in that respect. I love that part. My favorite part of that scene, and Tywin comes in there. Like, I mean, that's all. It's a, it's a great scene. <laughs> Tywin comes there and talks to Joffrey, the large but lord like, and the little yeah. king. Yeah, and he walks up there, and but he's like, "I should be counseled on these things." He's like, "You are being counseled on this as we speak." <laughs> well, the, he's like, "There's sort of this moment where Joffrey's trying to talk like a king to him. He's like, so I'm supposed to come to you and climb those stairs.'" And he just kind of walks yeah. up at him and says, you can be carried. Yeah, we can arrange for you to <laughs> be carried. And he's like just towering over this tiny boy. It's like, is that the way you want to play this? Is that what you think is going to happen? You think if you and I snapped our fingers at the same time that your guards would kill me and not you? Right. Well, he's calling him on his bullshit. Like, you know, he's like... Well, I'm king. And other people are like, yes, sir. Whatever you say, sir. And he's like, is that really what you want? You want to be a fool? Like he. So I. I... What's funny about this? That, though, that was is an interesting. This is like the first time Joffrey's ever been right about anything, though. The the argument is, you know, if there's someone out there raising dragons, shouldn't we be concerned? <laughs> it's like Joffrey's yeah, actually I mean, that's... correct. Well, yeah, you kind of see the first seeds of Tywin's undoing. The fact that he doesn't care overconfidence, about that. or maybe he's just playing like he doesn't care to Joffrey or something. He just believes that he's so powerful he can't imagine that some dragon lady from the sea and you know you see these dragons they're bigger every damn day. He's like the last dragon skull that I saw was the size of an apple. It's like well the first one was the size of a Those are like basketballs now. (laughs) Yeah it's like these are already bigger than apple size. And it's and he still says like well the biggest one that huge he died 300 years ago. I was like well that's not a long time ago guys. I mean, that's, it's obviously that some, I mean, it's not like it's thousands of years before an actual real one has ever existed. It's like, that was a cup. I mean, that's like, I mean, I guess in this world, people don't live as long, but I mean, it just, it just doesn't seem like that long ago for people not to be worried at all. But I guess it's like, I guess we live in it like a, you know, a, a media and a historical and in a world where it's just books and stuff that get old and that could, that's, that's more, it may be more like a thousand years to them. Well, they're more like us. 300 years is ancient to them, just like it would be to us. Yeah. But if you said the last dinosaur was 300 years ago, like last time someone saw a Tyrannosaurus Rex was 300 years ago, it's like, I'd be terrified that we run it one. 
And we look for things like that all the time. It's like, well, that's just the last time someone saw one. They could be out there. Right. And we have like video cameras yeah, we have, and like, sonar the whole, and stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That like we have the whole like world geo mapped and like satellite imagery of the entire globe, but we still think Bigfoot's out there and stuff. So it, I don't know. Well, they just I think it, especially it, it, Taiwan. It just you you think you've ascended to so much power, you can't imagine something greater than yourself. That's really what it comes down to. Even Joffrey, who is who believes he has absolute power as king and and doesn't imagine the the precariousness of his position still is capable of imagining something greater than himself, even though it's a childish sort of fear, like he believes in monsters. But but he's still capable of thinking, but if she has dragons, can't they destroy us? Because the last person who had three dragons took over everything. I mean, that's like our history. It wasn't just right. like people with dragons. It was like, it was, it, it, the parallelism is that like a dragon lord rose and had three dragons and took over the whole world. And now here we hear well, of this he lady said. with three dragons, and we could do something about that while they're still little. He's like, well, He says it brought the whole seven kingdoms to heal. I was like, that's a pretty good line. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and then we see, and yeah, then you actually see the, I mean, those dragons aren't even that big yet, but, whew. I mean, just that, that, that scene with Danny is great, because that actress is doing such a good job. She's like, I mean, not to be like pun intended, but she's like smoldering as like... <laughs> Just well, totally you can eating see that character up. just coming into her own. Like we keep calling her the righteous reckoning, but it is like that where she sees it now. She's like, anyone who has slaves will free all the slaves. It's like, oh well, like, and she just brings them up there, and it's, and just like, I'll kill you all if you don't let your slaves go. It's like, what do, we have powerful friends. It's like, I've got dragons, and they're little, but I'll still put them against you. But that's the best part. Leave the gold. Don't take it back because you don't like my gift. Because that's the whole idea. That's what we like. Is like Danny is like sort of arising to this idea of if I do rule. Because that was what the real turning point for her in in the early days was. Somebody just said, "Would you really want your brother to be king? Do you think he could be?" And it's like at the first moment she considers it, she's like, "Well, no, because he's a moron. He couldn't command an army." It's like all of a sudden her whole life shattered. Like when she thought about that, like it's the first time I considered anyone saying that. But I kind of always known that he would never take back the seven kingdoms. He's an idiot. And that was where she began to rise. Yeah, I mean, she has the biggest character arc, and you could even say that, like you said that about Jon Snow. It's like this. It seems like it's like the Song of Ice and Fire. Those are there's those two stories that are like the the ascending ones. The Danny and Jon Snow on the opposite side of the world, like coming into the. I mean, as far as being the characters that have most, have are most changed by their situations and like learning the most from this. I mean, because you say that Arya, but she's always been the kind of she's learned. She's getting much more cynical and much more. Yeah, she's ta- but, she's like a child in every respect because she's a kid who sees all this brutality. So of course she becomes cynical. But she's always had that attitude that she has, and she's just always been a Spitfire in that same sense. So she's not really. She's learning how to be more careful, but I mean, yeah, not. more callous. But but at the same, but yeah, she's not very different because she still doesn't understand the complexity of things. And, but at the same yeah. time, like with the, with the the brotherhood without banners, she sits there and goes, "You're liars!" Like little kids will do. You're mean. You're a liar. But she's still, for the most part, like at the very end, she starts to run from them. But really, she's she only runs because they say they won't take her home, which they promise to do. 
Like they were, she was still thinking that they'd take her back somewhere, like take her to River Run to ransom her off. But she didn't mind being ransomed off to her own people. But she's like, these people might just as easily ransom me off to other people. Yeah, and so she's in a bad situation. How <laughs> the hound was specifically stationed outside their camp. Well, he just wait, yeah, he got away, some... and instead of just going, he just stood there waiting for whatever. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ, come on, man. Because he has no interest in... You don't even know what the hound's goal is. Because he has no interest in going back to the kingdom. He's made that clear. He's just in just as much danger... So you wonder, like, what what is he planning to do now that he's got hold of her? We don't know what his what his purpose is. Well, maybe he can get ransom or something. Or well, that's got to be some thought of his too. If they can get money for, her, so can I. I mean, because the Lannisters will chop off his head, but his Starks, yeah. I mean, he could get back and they would give him money for. Her, so yeah, they wouldn't kill him for bringing her back. But even that, like, I I mean, it would seem like a all all these little scenes and stuff, every single one of these characters in these scenes, it's like, I mean, I, the, I mean, I guess the Sansa and the Tyrion stuff is a little more just development from last time, but all these other scenes are just like fundamentally relationships are changing. And mm-hmm. like, again, that one's specifically her storylines now moved on. Cause she's been sitting with these guys the past two or three episodes and nothing's happened with her really. Well, this whole just season kind of, is about taking sides where we don't know where people will land. Yeah. Everyone has to pick a side you know, and that's what the whole thing is in this episode. It's like, Tyrion, you have this opportunity to defy your father and do what you want, or you can just be with your family and stay here. Like the Jamie arc, it's like you can leave Brienne to the fate you know that you're leaving her to. And she even makes it easy for him because she knows that he wants to do the wrong thing. So she just basically lets him go. She's like, keep your oath. Return yourself safely. Like that's her being honorable, but it gives him an out where he's like, "Well, yeah, I have, I, I have to keep her oath for her as well." So it's a noble well, thing. Even that at I that leave point, though, but and I think it's a good. It's not even just that that's easy. I also think that it, it, it seems pretty realistic too, because like, what's he going to do then? The Bolton guy's still there. I mean, he only gets power in that situation once Bolton leaves, and he can convince the other people of his kind of actions. Because when he's still there, he's like, no, you're not taking her. Like, he couldn't have convinced him that even if he had said that, he's like, all right, we're going to kill you then. Like, he, yeah, he, with he Bolton I mean, there. Bolton went in the absence of Bolton, he can take advantage of the the ignorance of Bolton's people and say, he told you to protect me and I'm going back to the castle. So there you go. <laughs> so that's the good turning point for Jamie, where it's like, now I can use my cleverness because I'm not overextending myself at all. And this guy, I can, this guy, I can win. Well, and also, I, it, and it's a different kind of sacrifice because he is sacrificing himself. Well, he literally twice does. and twice, twice because he sits and then you can kill me because I'm not leaving here without. I mean, he does it kind of three times. As he stands at the bolt and at the, I mean, the lock at the end. But he quits he's himself. Like, you well, can kill yeah. me. He quits himself or, I mean, very well in in this. And you can see that. Yeah, you can see that he'd be fine with that. But then, like, um, but then also with the bear pit thing, he literally he literally jumps himself. into the bear pit. That's the moment for Jamie because you can see he's up there, kind of helpless, trying to figure out what do I do, what do I do? Because he doesn't have the opportunity to get a weapon for himself, and she's just got a wooden sword, and you know the worst is just going to happen. So like at that moment, he makes a decision that you know I'm all in on this. So that's impressive 
as a as a good arc for him because there's no ambiguity to what he did. You know, obviously the guy's like, well, I'm bound to protect him. He's like, but you, and and the events prove that you couldn't count on that level of protection. Right. So that was a selfless act to literally put yourself between the bear and the maiden fair because you thought it was the right thing to do. So that's a good turning point for Jamie. Yeah, so Brienne's like an interesting, such a, I love how these characters come in and they're kind of secondary and nothing, but now she's integral part of the story to him and everything. I mean, yeah, who even I mean, knows where I don't know now? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they'll get back to King's Landing because that seems too delicious, like, to have not to happen like to where he doesn't get shown to his dad and Cersei like just kind of maimed now and see how they react to that. And also you have probably... to wonder like how will they react to Brienne and how and, and what will that what kind of conflict will that create for him? Yeah because I mean Cersei will probably be like turbo bitch to her yeah. <laughs> and like Kill her. And, but so and that and that'll be I mean that'll be the big push for him is like first of all I think they'll reject him a little bit offhand just because of this thing and that he's this freak now to them but all because he's not this untarnished Lannister now, but also the way they treat her, and he's just gonna toss her aside, and he and he, I don't know. I just think that'll be the last straw. I really think that that'll be an interesting situation between those two characters because now they're kind of bound by honor. Well, the idea is you have to push these characters if you think they have some kind of spark in them. You got to push them. And that's the way with Jamie now, it's with Brienne. And at the one point, it's like you have to face off against your enemies to save her, and you've proven yourself that way. But what happens when she actually leads you back to King's Landing and you see what they're going to do to her and then your loyalties? Because that puts him back in the same situation where he's talking to the, the guy who's healing him. He's like, yes, you know, how many men have you killed and how many have you saved? He says, half a million. So he knows that in his heart completely. I saved everyone in King's Landing. Yeah, I, I like that idea now that he is totally, like, he's owning that. Like, he's not ashamed of it anymore. Like, he's like, no, I did the right thing. And he's kind of past that point of being. Yeah, so you wonder, you know, like, if we get into a situation that's much more personal with Brienne, and, you know, she become, she's in jeopardy because of his family, then you wonder, what are they going to do with that? Like, can he still step up the same way he did but in in the but in defense of a single person, in this basically yeah, in defense of a single principle, it's easy when like, we would have all died. He probably would have killed us all. It's like not even just he would have killed everyone in the city. It's like he was mad. He probably would have turned on me too. You know, so it's easy to have done that, even though it was hard. The consequence of it was hard on him, but it was easy enough for him to have done that because it's like it's obvious that this guy is going to turn on everybody, including those present here. So there's self-preservation involved in turning on him as well. Well, and I just like that evidence that he is that like that scene and the the hot tub thing was him, him actually. It was a change in him. It's not he's not just well that was an emotional scene for me and that's happened like it actually is a turning point for his character where he's not he's. He doesn't feel ashamed for being honorable. You know what I mean? Like he actually, and with his actions, this he shows that. So he also admits that. Then in these actions, he's like, "Oh, he's like a good guy now." Like he's he's admittedly to himself saying, "I'm not a, I don't have to be, be afraid." Of, yeah, right. Because my family is, and they they dismiss anybody being honorable. And but that'll be fun to see. So Jamie and, and Tyrion have these interesting parallel arcs because it's it Jamie is being tried through through punishment you know through tribulation and Tyrion's being tried through 
through wealth and prosperity. It's like, yeah. So with Jamie, it's like we keep putting you in this position where, like, will you? Can you suffer the hazard of these things? But then with Tyrion, it's the opposite. It's like we keep offering you so much material wealth. Can you turn that down for what you think is right? Yeah. But it's interesting. There's a lot of parallel arcs going on in this series as far as the way they're really examining the characters and the way they, they respond to things. I, I like to see in this season like how much they're doing with the characters as far as transformation because that's what this whole season is about is sort of choice and transformation. Even Theon's where they're just like torturing him and threatening to castrate him and quite possibly do. It's all about how far can we push him. And that's why I wonder, we'll know when we see next what's going on with Theon, exactly how far that arc is going. Because you wonder if even that is just taking him up to the brink to see what it reveals about him. Or is this guy really going to castrate Theon? <laughs> it's it's going to be difficult to see where that character can come back. Because besides yeah. the fact of just yeah. being neutered, like he's... He is, is just completely broken by by this experience because everything that's happened so far, if you got away right now, you you could you could recover, but this would be the unrecoverable thing. Yeah. He's already yeah. I mean, even that scene they show like how just horrified he is of that guy, like how just emotionally damaged he is at this point. That he's like, no, just to just tell him, not him, not, and he's just terrified of just seeing that guy. Yeah. So who? I mean, he he's pretty messed up at this point. Yeah. So you wonder, like we've been hinting at the idea is, are they trying to toughen Theon up for something? The the result of this scene will tell us that, <laughs> because it's like, no, they 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 castrate him. It's like, oh well, they're not toughening him up. That's it's like, they, yeah, they took. It's just funny they're taking everybody's most important part away. Like they took Jamie's hand. No, yeah, yeah Theon is like useless. As they have to take because you could think he, if he got out of the torture and recovered, he'd still just turn back into the you know because that was his like fatal flaw. You know that he was just this kind of perv that he's hitting on his sister and all these things that like now it's well, like he can't be that person. And that's anymore. what I wonder is there like you know obviously they're trying to tear at the heart of him and maybe that's it. But this guy it's so personal for this guy who wonders like is there something Theon did specifically in this respect that's got this guy on him so bad? Maybe. That's what you really wonder cuz it's like this is a very personal thing to do to someone. Cuz he saved him from, you know, from being violated is like is that just because he didn't want someone else to get the opportunity yeah maybe i don't know that's a good point i mean i i mean going with the idea that they're from the bolton thing all those guys seem sadistic anyway so i don't know i mean they had they haven't needed motivation to throw her in a bear pit so i guess but even that doesn't seem personal like that's what's so bad about his men it's like they don't care they're just mean like, there's nothing yeah. personal about it at all. Even when they finally get away, he's just kind of got, like, an aw shucks look on his face. Like, okay, fine. Like, even when the first night where he's like, she's worth millions, so don't rape her. It's like, fine, we won't rape her. And now it's fine. like, still, it's like, do you really think you have enough power to turn against me now? Or are you just going to give me the girl? I was like, fine, you can take the girl. But it's still nothing personal. That's what makes him even sadder and kind of scarier. Is that we were just going to rape her or throw her to a bear because we thought it was funny. It's worse than it being personal. 
Like this kid seems like he's got a personal, you know, bone to pick with Theon, and you don't know what it is because sometimes you think, is he just like crazy? But then, like he's getting too much pleasure out of specifically torturing Theon because he could have like a dungeon full of people if all he liked to do was torture people. It's got to be yeah, easy that's, to that's acquire a good people. Point. But he's specifically following this guy around. Like so, there's got to be some deeper purpose. I did like the it. idea that he was like a bastard, but they're like the same age. I mean, yeah, I, only like I don't 18. think he can be Theon's. But he's bastard. only like he's only yeah, he's only like eighteen. So, but all these characters appear older in the show than they are in the books. It's like you know, Rob's like fourteen when he becomes Lord in the book, and and so is John's like fourteen, about the same age, and you know the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, San- like and Sansa's like twelve. Yeah, she's or like eleven yeah. in the first book. And that's when they first offer her up to Joffrey. It's like, what are you talking about? She's 11. It's like, she's not going to get married right now. I'm not saying today. I'm saying eventually. But then, like, two years later in, in the story, you know, everybody's, like, going to marry her and put a baby in her or whatever it is they're talking about. Like, hasn't been that long. But in the show, it's accelerated because they already cast older. And, you know, as time goes by in the show, you know, they get visibly older. Yeah, LeBran kid's going to be like six feet tall by the time they get the end of That's the problem. Yeah, and Arya is that's much true. older. There's nothing you can do about that because it's like only the third year of the show, but they're, they're just working their way through it. But that's a compromise because it doesn't hurt the story. They're, they're still young, but not nearly as young as they are in the books. So like you think, and, Theon, and could Theon have passes. a kid? Like, no, nah, Theon's like tiny. Yeah, and enough time passes too. They like jump months and stuff in this story too. It kind of makes more like, sense in the show when you see it because you feel like they've been wandering around a lot and a lot has been going on. So the timeline makes a lot of sense in the show. Yeah, because even like all that walk, I mean, you can really tell from all the walking the wildlings and stuff are doing like. That stuff, they're getting to the wall and all that stuff. It takes like a month or two. You know, they did that during season two. But everybody's asking, like, where are those white walkers? Like, why haven't they got to the wall yet? I was like, well, because it takes like two months. Yeah, they're travel kind of, to get there. Yeah, and they're, that's I what mean, they're getting. At. Yeah, it's like the people, the dragons are coming and the white walkers are coming. They're all going to get here around the same time. Calm down. What's yeah. funny is you think it's like it's taken forever. It's like it's only been three seasons of the show. But at the same time, three seasons of the show is a big deal. I think people just want, I, I mean, because they, they're handling the Danny stuff great because she has a bunch of stuff to do over there and become awesome and become, you know, ascend into her place. And so it's not like she's just on a boat traveling, you know, like that was the problem last year people had with her stories. So they just kept cutting back to her walking through the desert. And and it's like, but well, now she has being to, yeah. done over. Last year was the catharsis for her because she had gotten free of her brother and she was a leader, but she didn't know how to be a leader. So she gets to this rich city. And they're all just like, oh, well, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then and the guy try, kills all her people, and he, he wants to marry her, and they lock him in a vault. And then the warlocks think they can steal her dragons, so she fries them. And that, that's the point where you're like, oh, well, she really has something to offer. She's not just some dumb girl that's funny. Because even in the dream illusions where she's, like, dreaming about her husband and all this stuff, like, at some point she gets past that. It's like, no, that's over. This is, It's me. And I'm the thing that's happening. In in third season, it's like I'm the thing that's happening. Yeah, like and it, there is no like, other I've said thing this before, going it's on. Like a, I'm the thing that's happening. It's a it's a great story device too. The way they're like, because like I said, like the first season's about 
tearing down our ideas of fantasy, right? <laughs> like our expectations as storygoers and like, yeah, this is how things work mm-hmm. and people are honorable and they do this and like, oh my gosh, that's no, this is, oh, these guys are sneaky. I've never really watched something like this. It's, it's just about tearing down our expectations of what a fantasy story is and those things, mm-hmm. you know. Really it's kind of dangerous that is because that's what it is. Yeah. We were comparing that to Lord Dunsany. It's the same thing. It's like a fantasy world while being a fantasy in terms of what's there would actually be extremely dangerous and frightening if it existed. Right. A world where that sort of thing could happen would be terrifying to be in. Because it's like the Old West with magic and shit. Oh, and then that's what's cool because then once you realize what kind of world it is, then the second season's about all the people who play that game really well, like Tyrion and even, you know, some of the people with Danny with Cartha against her, but like, you know, John, I mean, not John, um, Rob does really well with the war and all these tricks and stuff that he's doing. Like, second season's all about a lot of that stuff's about, I mean, a lot of it's just you see, now you know what kind of world it is, and now we're going to show you in its prime and all these kind of machinations of what's happening. And this season, I and so now we've seen that and seen how that stuff plays out. And now, as a story going to like the third book and third series, it's like now we're going to show you a bunch of characters who are just rejecting all the way those things have been done too. They're throwing out the idea of what they think a fantasy world is, and what how and you that's know, what we were sort of talking how. about. Especially with the Stark children, we see where it's it's sort of like this generation of people rejecting all the old traditions right. as being foolish. Especially embodied in the Stark children, but everyone is because the Lannister children also have to deal with that. Between Jaime and Tyrion, it's like we were raised to be wicked, yeah, and we were raised by a, just a power-hungry madman. But and we thought that's what we were supposed to be, but maybe we don't. So everyone has these sort of questions. Like I said, this season's about choosing loyalties. Yeah, I like that idea. That, like it's about picking sides. I like that idea of Tyrion too. That you're saying that because we all think like he came into his own last year because he was so awesome. But I mean, you kind of see the beginning of this, the end of last year, and the beginning of this year that he's still trying. He was just doing that for his dad to try to make him proud and stuff. So I mean, he, you see his, you see his like skill. And his like, and how adequate he is at doing the job, but you, his motivations are still unpure because he's trying to win approval from his horrible right. father. Because his, his father makes it clear that's what's the saddest part. It's like that arc ha- has completed because his father said, "You will never win my approval or my love." Like, like that's the very beginning of the, this season. But he's just to let you know, just to put you in your place, because he's like, I want to take my place at Casterly Rock. You have no place in this family. Well, that's what... The, that's, you shame us. Well, that's what's interesting, too, because, like, we said that, and you said, like, how he's kind of tittering around this episode, like, oh, you know, I don't... I, I have to stay here and do these things, and I like that point now, because it's, like, it's building up for him to just rebel now, and I don't know if you saw... I always spoil it by the next time on Game of Thrones... But then, I, I, and the next time in Game of Thrones, the way it ends, it shows him like something with him like confronting Joffrey. It's like, what did you say to me? And like, and it's just Tyrion being like pissed. So I don't know if like that, like what we're talking about now. Like, I guess that I mean, it seems like that is coming to a head, and he he's got to do something because at this point, Jamie has grown more than he has now. Because Jamie is, I think, is totally rejecting that idea, and he it will he'll get the bigger test with his dad and Cersei and stuff when he gets back. But as far as rejecting what he's been, you know, raised to kind of do and follow, I think he... Well, what we see is with the Lannisters is when they're separated from their family, they actually shine. Right. 
because that's what we saw with Tyrion. Even though he wasn't physically separated from his family, he was still sort of outcast where he was Hand of the King, but he knew Joffrey was a monster and, and Cersei was never going to be helpful to him. So he was still opposed to them because he thought that he was going to sort of put them down and, and sort of elevate himself in the eyes of his father. So in the absence of his father and being, being sort of pitted against the rest of the family, he's shown in that respect. Whereas in the first season, even more so because he's just wandering on his own. And he's like kind of wandering around just doing good things for people. It's like he was better when in the first season, but now in this season, you know, he's been put in his place and he won't rebel with his father there because that's the real thing. This is like it, what's funny about this is it, it's such a metaphor for a real relationship because you have this girl who's like, stop being a coward in the face of your parents. Yeah. It's like, get out of the shadow of your father. He's like, I have to do these things. Like, you don't have to. You're only afraid because he's here. Like, you were so bold when your father was gone. And now he's here, and, and you're just a, a cowardly little child. And it's like such a great, like, extreme metaphor for what, you know, for a real argument in, in a relationship. Because that's all she's asking him to do is, like, rise up above your, your family and be your own man. That's all any woman can ever ask of a man in a relationship. Right. And that's all. I... And he's like, I have to do this. I have to marry this girl. It's like, you want me to live in a house and have kids with you while you live in a house with another girl and have kids with her. Yeah, who I'm, that's, I'm like, well, these, I'm going to be very gracious to you and take care of you. It's like, you go to hell. Yeah. It's like, you have no idea how patronizing that sounds and how horrible and how pathetic you sound to me. For even offering that. And it's like, and he doesn't because he thinks he's being very gracious because compared to his family, he's decent. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, they're, they, it's very, it's just very interesting. I mean, it's just such a realistic take. I mean, yeah, you take the fantasy elements out of it and you have two different, it's the same situation for two different types of kids. You have like the one jock, the favorite all-star kid and he has his problems dealing with coming because part of he has to come over like he's so loyal to his family because he's always been treated so well and stuff but he has so he has different issues of coming to terms with that if he disagrees with them and disagrees with what they're saying and how they're actually what his morals come in the conflict with what his father and his parents do you know what i mean like he it's a different struggle for him to like overcome his father's approval but but Tyrion, who is the outcast and the thing, it's like it's interesting because he wants that approval so much, but he has a different way that he needs to overcome wanting that approval or even needing that, you know, the influence of his father. So it's such a it's such but a, it's it's so pitiful because Tyrion doesn't see that even and that's as clever as Tyrion I think he's starting is, he to see that see though. that Jamie is miserable. Right. Like he still wants to. He wishes he had. He doesn't realize that Jamie is just as poor off for having that approval. Because he's still, he's, you're genetically engineered to seek that approval. Right. And I, I just think that's such and a... Like, as much as he despises his family, they're still his family. And that and and that really is very realistic to the show. We've said that before, too. It's like, you can sit there and watch a show and go, well, they're bad guys, and he's a good guy, and he should hate them. It's like, but that's his family. Right. Like, as much as he may hate them or see how bad they are, that world, like when she said, let's just go across the sea. 
and he, he he says that like what would I do like juggle but it's like that's not what it is about at all it's that fear of being completely without his family despicable as they are you know they define him too he's like I'm a Lannister it's like he means that that's the saddest thing at all he's not at all ashamed of the name Lannister because he's always, he would do more with that name if if he could because they all fall back like, on yeah, it in would, their own way and that's what it, it, it that's what and I think I mean I say Jamie's grown more but I mean Jamie might I mean, they might have be at the same spot now because Jamie might have grown now to the point where like Tyrion did last year you know where they both become more themselves and Jamie's grown to the point where you become interested in well him but it, but that, just that's the yeah arc of well, Jamie he's really season. finding himself like before he's he's been super successful in the stuff that he's done but he hasn't found himself and found his courage and what he thinks is right in himself and doing it for his reasons. And so now if he gets back, him and Tyrion are in the same situation where those or Tyrion's battling that now, like where he found himself and what he could do and what he wants to do and like but he now it's like coming into conflict with his father and actually giving a crap of what his father says. Mm-hmm. So it is funny to see them both go through those because that's why we say Cersei is has no art because like she's always been static in that same way. She'll seek her father's approval, but she's just as cruel. Well, her situation is different because her situation is kind of weird because she's kind of the combination of both of them because she gets the outcast treatment because she's a woman and she's kind of but in that sense. But she also gets the but she's also a favorite because she's the most beautiful woman in all of Westeros. And, you know, she gets that double standard that women in this world do, but that by her father. So. But the, we see in the last episode where we see in that, that, that sort of where that, that well, the episode before last, I guess, when they finally, he's like, you will go marry this guy. And that's that. Yes. Yeah. You know, and she's like, but I'm not just, cattle it's like you are to me well that's what it's saying is like you, you are like in one it's like just the two side he's a great like two comments he's like you're the most beautiful woman all of westeros you know every man would want to be with you you're the best catch ever but you are my property to sell to him too yeah and that's the whole thing because that's she thought she was better than that it's like i'm the queen regent it's like when i had a king to sell you to i did and i don't so now I'll just give you to the first person that's convenient while you still have the opportunity to make babies. Yeah, that's so important in their world. Because that's what he says to, to Tyrion. It's like, you take her and you put a child in her. Like, that's what he thinks women are for. Right. Like, that'll be a powerful pairing. And then I can and then I can get Winterfell. Oh, well, you got to think. I mean, Tywin, I don't know what Tywin's play on that is because, I mean, that he's not so more uh, like a supporter of Tyrion in that sense because... Tyrion's his only chance of like a legacy, right? Because like Jamie can't have kids. I mean, he's a king's guard in that sense. Remember, he gave up all those rights and all those things. So, and all rights to 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 Casterly Rock and it. I mean, they they talked about it before. So, I mean, he can't hope to have kids from him. But he's still so dismissive of Tyrion becoming that. Just well, I think have him. He thinks if Tyrion's – in a way, he thinks of Tyrion the same way he thinks of Cersei. He's like, if he's good for anything, he's good for siring the bloodline because if he has a child that's not a waddling imp, then at least the line can continue without embarrassment. He'll just forget about him. And he'll just yeah. be – Footnote. Yeah, he'll just be this, this sort of – yeah, embarrassing footnote in our family history. But if he makes a child with the Stark girl and then that child is Lord of Winterfell – and Rock, too. And Cashley Rock, then – then we can just sort of shuffle the rest under the rug. 
and that gives me purchase on two parts of the kingdom right there, and I don't have to worry about Yeah, if he has two boys, even better. Sort of impish abomination. <laughs> yeah. If the other one's an imp, then I'll treat it shitty like I did this one. So I don't have anything to lose. That that. So he's just such a horrible, horrible man. But it is interesting you made that point that like you, that he, that Joffrey, like that he doesn't give a crap about the dragons, and that's like the first. I'm trying to think, that's like the first strategic blunder he's made, or that I mean, just he hasn't made it yet, but it's just an attitude and thinking about the situation, which is is just overconfidence, because yeah. it's like the like let's mention Star Wars. Take a like it's like the Emperor is like, I will bring all the rebel fleet here. Because I have one working space station, right? <laughs> like, and then that surprise alone will gain me victory. It's like, that's a terrible plan. I'll bring Luke Skywalker into my throne I room. Think, it's like, that's a I terrible think your plan. Your friends will find the shields fully operational yeah. when your friends arrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. For a guy who swears he can see the future, this seems ridiculously short-sighted. And that's sort of the way, because Tywin is so bad. And he's so good at being bad. It's like you wouldn't think, you know, seeing him against Joffrey is like just puts it all in perspective. It's like how far do you think? Because you can talk smack to your mother because you know she'll take it. But you've you've always known that I wouldn't take your shit. Right. So are you really going to try to talk tough to me? And he just – Joffrey like starts out talking like a king sort of, but he just looks sort of rebuffed. And he's just, yeah, he's just – The whole scene where it's like, why didn't anyone tell me? Like a little kid. Like he starts trying to talk like a king, but immediately it's just like, but why don't I get to And know? Tywin is so kingly though. Like he so mm -hmm. seems like the king in that situation too. Or like – Your grace <laughs> – just, just to dig the knife He walks in, in with his guards and just like turns and looks at them and they stop walking and, and he keeps going. I, yeah. I, but yeah, he's such a, just a bad man. But that's where his whole problem is because Joffrey, like I said, at least has an inkling enough to be afraid of someone coming with dragons. He believes that there's no, there's no mortal power that can defeat him because he's king, but, but he does know the history of dragons. You know, they're in our basement. They used to be in the throne room, but they're still in the basement. We yeah, know... Joffrey knows all the Targaryen history. I mean, he loves that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, he, you know, like any kid, he's fascinated with dragons, but, but rightfully afraid of them. And so it's it's like Tywin is old enough to just th not believe in things. And that's what that Heron, I mean, the Lord Heron guy, that was his mistake of building Heron Hall and thinking... He could keep the dragons out, and they yeah, just yeah, and they just melted him or him inside of it. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the, that whole battle where it's like eight thousand soldiers, three dragons. Yeah, yeah. as know? the as the like guy rode on top, of the Aegon rode on top of the dragon. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like this, like that is a powerful because because Joffrey is childlike, and he's a child really. But he's also childlike in, in his sensibilities. It's like when you say the people will rise up, he can't understand that because he doesn't understand the complexity of society. He just thinks I'm better than lower people because that's how I was raised. But he's a child, and you can mention monsters. You can say, but they'll bring dragons, and dra that's a real threat. He gets that. Like a kid would get that as threat. But Tywin, who's an adult, doesn't fear the same thing for the same reason he thinks it's foolish. The last dragons have died out because someone said so. It's like, but but we you know there's dragons. Someone said there's real dragons now. Little ones. <laughs> it's like there's no little ones to kids. 
Like that's where Joffrey is actually smarter. And that, that is an interesting turnaround because Joffrey is in all other respects a total moron. Yeah. But even he knows, it's like, shouldn't we do something about Maybe that? Maybe we should do something. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, Robert's like, <laughs> the first season where Robert's freaking out about her being alive is actually coming to fruition. Like, he, he was right. <laughs> but, but Robert's hatred had nothing to do with the dragons. They thought dragons were gone too. He just deeply, deeply hated all the dragons. Well, because he they, just, they like, wanted to destroy well, like, them. It's because they burned the woman he loved. That's why. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, to the point where, and that's where Ned, that, that this first division between Ned and and Robert started to happen was where, because it was the Lannisters who presented that family to Robert as a gift, like children and all dead. And that's where Ned was just like, "This is too much. This is, you know, you don't kill children. Like that's the way the Starks are even now. Like that's the way they're them. Like they're they're these are not, they're not bound by the rules of war, but." Robert's like, nope, if there's one left, we'll kill them all. I don't care. Children grow up to be the adults. We'll kill them now. And that was the way Robert was. You know, Joffrey's just afraid of monsters. He doesn't much care. But he actually seems sort of excited by the, the, the history of, of the old the kings, bloody history you know, of the old king. and all their horrible deeds. Like, he doesn't fear them at all. He doesn't fear evil people. But the idea of dragons is, is fearsome. It's a simple enough idea that a simpleton like him can be afraid of it. But in that respect, he has an angle that his, his grandfather doesn't because because Tywin just thinks that's ridiculous for no good reason. There's no rational reason to believe there could never be dragons again. It's like, first of all, it wasn't that long ago that they had them. And second, I'm, I'm telling you, people say they do have them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a like a sin of pride and also just overproductivity. It's like I don't have time to mess with this crap. <laughs> These like tales of yeah, I don't have time for dragons. Like, we have enough problems as it is. I'm not worrying about <laughs> fairy tales coming to life. Yeah, exactly. Come on, dragons be real. In that respect, it's the same as how he deals with those rumors of Jamie and Cersei. And that's the first time you hear is, that. You know, he won't confront that kind of reality. And, and in a way, that that's his greatest weakness, because if you confront him with something that is too overwhelming, he will simply dismiss it. Yeah. And that's his that's his blind spot. Like, there's dragons. It's like, I it's not in my wheelhouse to prepare for dragons, so I'll assume there aren't dragons, even though people tell me there are. And it's like, it's not, in, it's not within my skill set to sort of deal with the idea of my, my children having sex with each other and having children together. So I will just assume that doesn't happen against all evidence. That's his, that's his, his real, his real weakness. And that's sort of what's going to end up getting him. It's like, you have this ambition, but you have this really, really defined blind side. So it's so easy because the Tyrells have already identified that. It's like, whereas you can't come at us, we'll we'll take ownership of, of our faults. We can see that you don't, and that we can do something with. Because Joffrey being another one, it's like, we'll just take him and twist him up so much that he won't know which way is up. Yeah, I wonder if the Tyrells... Because you won't deal with him. He's such a little psychopath, you guys won't deal with him. Like, Tywin barely speaks to Joffrey. That's one of the things Joffrey's crying about. Why doesn't anyone tell me what's going on? Because he can't deal with him. He can't look at him. 
But the Tyrells, they'll send Marjorie out there and just twist them all up. And and the next thing you know, he's all in love with her because it's the first person that's ever even shown him any real kind of kindness and affection that was genuine. Or actual engagement. Or yeah, that actually that's not scared of him in a certain way. That's actually engaging him. Yeah, that wasn't fear or total placation. Like, so, so he gravitates to that and that's what they exploit which is the same weakness because Tywin you can, you're incapable of showing love and affection but you also will ignore what you disdain so that gives us a lot of room that gives us a huge gap to move I into. wonder if they actually um what their game is if that like their intent to the Tyrells their intention was to, for him to react the same way because I mean they knew they couldn't keep that secret and that wouldn't have been a secret because once they were married, I mean, that would have happened. There'd have been a big wedding and stuff between Loris and um, Sansa. So, I mean, obviously they're not trying to keep it secret, and obviously they're not dumb enough to think he wouldn't react that way. So it's like maybe they meant for yeah. him to like put Cersei with with Loris, and you know, like maybe they meant for that to happen. And Cersei, I don't know what. I'm trying to think of what the gain is there, but. Well, it, it's totally like chess. It's like you know that's what pawns are for. It's like. When you're trying to make a bigger play, you move the pawns out where someone has to deal with them because a pawn is a threat if, if they're not dealt with. Yeah. So you you put that in play so they have to deal with that so you can hopefully open up a hole to make a bigger play. And with the Lannisters, since they, like I said, they have the blind side to the things that they don't want to deal with. And they have that overwhelming sense of pride and overconfidence that they don't think they can be outsmarted. It's like those are two weaknesses that are that are really easy to exploit. The Tyrells are much more clever in that respect. So it will be interesting to see what, what their game is. Their game is of thrones. <laughs> the game is thrones, of course. When you play the game of thrones, you play it to win. <laughs> My game is thrones didn't realize it was an actual game. And he went up for Thrones. I like it at the end of this EW... Uh, like the Monopoly. This EW um, uh, recap. They had like... You know, they do like best scene, best line. And best scene was... um, uh, Or no, they did best acting too. The best acting when they said <laughs> by the bear. <laughs> That's Bart 2. He's in all his movies. Where the Bart, Bart the, the bear. bear is the first one. That's, and then, but they said the the best line, or not necessarily the best line, but just they said this will be your, the line that um, Egret says to John. It's like you're mine and I'm yours, and if we die, we die. But first, we'll live. And he said, you know, this is going to be solemnly quoted at Thrones fans' weddings for years to come. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the vows. Uh, it's funny. I am your lady. Yeah, we're definitely, I mean, there's big action. I mean, that was the big thing, and I mean, the big thing next week, I'm wondering about the Hound and Arya. Like, what's that going to be about? <laughs> well, again, because with a character like the Hound, you wonder, is like, do they have, like, an arc that they're even trying to, because the Hound is, is just horrible. But at the same time, like, his sensibility is so well stated, he's like, I didn't do that. I was told to do it. <laughs> That's such a wonderful justification, because, like, you killed children here. It's like, it wasn't even there. Like, well, you killed my friend. It's like, well, I was told to. I didn't kill him. It's like, I was told to find the butcher boy and cut him in half. 
he was a bleeder, that one. Like, just so remorseless. Even so, when he's trying to say it's not his fault, he's still just like, he was a bleeder. Yeah. It's like, well, you you cut him from one end to the other. That's what, when Ned came back, when he saw him, the first season, sees him dead. He's like, is that necessary? He's like, he ran. <laughs> he ran not very fast. <laughs> just, oh, God. Don't you have any sense of anything? It's like no honor, no remorse. And his brother's worse. I mean, he actually has more honor and sense than his brother. Because his brother was the one trying to kill Loris in the jousting thing. That was in the first season. That was Loris who beat his brother. And then his brother's like, like sword. And he just cuts off his horse's head. And then he comes after Loris. And then the hound's the one that, you know, saved him. But... So I mean, his, we haven't seen much of his brother. He's the one with any sense of and the, yeah. And the books they the make, especially thing. the second book, they really, they really play up his the mountain. Like there's a lot of scenes with like where when Arya and um Arya and them get caught and go to Harrenhal. Before that, they get caught in this town, and the mountains the guy is catching these people and like torturing, just killing somebody every night. So they really do play that character. But in the show, we haven't seen him at all. You see, you saw him in the first season of those jousting, but he's this huge, and he's way worse. But he's still off. I mean, I wonder if he's going to come into play more. Like you hear about him, and stuff gets put into place. Like that Beric Dondarrion guy was sent by Ned to go. I wonder if, like, if you're trying to make the Hound sympathetic, you bring in somebody worse. Yeah, you know, well, maybe maybe the Hound will go. I mean, to his brothers. I don't know. Like, you just never know. It's like, like it seems like that's such a big character and just an idea in the books. And he's just like, you see him once, and they talk about him all the time, but he's still out there. And the whole point of, you know, Rob's uncle, the, the, his screw-up that he's let them, I mean, the mountain, I mean, that he let the mountain go. And so the mountain's out there with his army somewhere. So it seems like we're going to run into him again in a bigger way. Well, maybe they're saving that. Then. So That'd I wonder what, what do you, th- I mean, next year, I, I'm guessing that episode nine is going to be the big one. So I'm wondering what. What do you think if at this point, let's make a prediction. It's fun to, like at this point, what do you think the big thing's going to be like the of the season, like the big action-y kind of climax? It could like be a couple things, I guess. conflict? Because you, you wonder as far as dramatically, yeah, I, mean, like, like I do think is, like Jamie sort of getting back as the dramatic sort of climax, you would think they're going to come back, but... I, okay, I, yeah, I'll but put you this. It maybe seems like they sort of the seeds aren't really sprouting that quickly. Well, like, maybe the, maybe the Baratheon, maybe the, would even mention Robert's bastard in this episode had had a moment where they were oh yeah at the bay and saw the wreckage and all that stuff and it gets revealed to him. But then in the next episode tease, we also see that apparently she's just going to cut him up and try to do yeah. something to so him. Yeah, it's like well, see what like, it is. Just, like, is that some kind of ritual to make him stronger, or are they just going to bleed him out for some? Yeah, other like. Yeah, that's that's where they actually spoiling something. It's like, guys, come on! Like this is the, that's the whole question of what's going to happen to him. Well, now you still don't know because she guess, could be yeah. doing something to him to to sort of transform him. There's still because she does take a lot of time out in this episode to sort of like speak to him like a human. In her most human scene in the she's been like two dimensional through the whole show. And, like, she has, like, this sort of sincere moment where she's like, you know, well, I started out small, too, and, and you know, we, we we have our destinies, but we also choose our destinies, and then the Lord of Light, you know, chooses our destinies for us or whatever. Like, so you, you are what the Lord of Light wants you to be. And so it's almost, but she has this moment where it's like she gets to act like something other than crazy. 
And you think, well, wow, there's like a real moment between them. Going and she's great. That actress, that, that actress is great too. She's she she has such a cool voice, but she plays mm-hmm. that part so well. Like, I mean, she's been two dimensional, but she hasn't felt like it because that actress does it so. She's well. She's good and scary. Like yeah. she's good. Like she's good and scary. Like you know, for the minute, like when because it's both. Like you can see why Stannis is enthralled because she's all hot and into him and stuff. But then, like like his buddy is like, you can't trust her for a minute. Can you? Are you serious? Like, just look at her. She's talking all crazy. Burning people? It's like, you need to really calm down. Maybe some time in the dungeon will sort you out. But but for her, you can kind of get where she, she sort of inspires both of those reactions. Yeah. And that's what... I, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, she's just one of those charismatic people on it that you actually just want to see like what her deal is there's people that come on there and like you know that have just an interesting kind of situation or story and like they they do a good job of getting these actors that just by them appearing here like i want to figure out what this person's thing is gravitas they are they get these these because sometimes they just have hot people and that helps and they're good actors too for the most part but but mostly they just pick these people with this sort of charisma like what right. is going on with that guy? You just want to know. Like everyone is. Well, that's why you want to see. Because they're well yeah, written, but I mean, they're well acted. So you just want yeah. to get into them and see what's going on. And that's why I mean that's like what Jamie and that actor and those other people for the first two. I mean he he relied just on the fact that he was just kind of interesting. Like just his presence was interesting and like this, like just just that alone. And he didn't have any lines in the first season that really kind of hinted to more. I mean, he's a nice guy a little bit to Jamie, but I mean, he knocked the kid out of the window in a really cavalier way. Mm-hmm. But it's like, this guy, there's something to him though. Like there's, there's certain characters where he's like, there's much more and you feel like they're, they're, they're acting better than the part at the time is showing. Well, maybe like, they're reading the books. Cause I remember in, in that scene where he pushes, where he pushes uh, Bran off, there's like, he says the things I do with love for love with a certain loathing is like the way it's said right. in the book. Like, like he hates himself and he hates the situation, but this is what he'll do. So the actor plays it off with as a little bit more cavalier. And then you get to see that play out a little bit more later on. But, it's, but at first you just get like, man, what a jerk. Yeah. But the, you know, maybe they're reading the books and they're getting the nuances and letting those come out. I would think that there, there's two, one or of two, or maybe both things that they're building to as far as the action of this season, and one is possibly the assault on Casterly Rock. But they're building into it so slow, you think maybe they're just build it. They're wait. They're gonna save that for later because there's not that many episodes left. Well, I almost think I, I almost think that the, the action thing could be a three prong thing. You could have that going on. You could have the Castle Black attack. Well, I think that's on. definitely going to happen. And then you could have Danny attacking attacking that city going on. I guess so. I don't ever think of that as part of the story because I think, like I said, Danny's arc is sort of a mythological origin story. She's not really part of the story. We just see her. But you building. don't think that. But you don't see that resolution of that city will happen this season. Well, I think you might, but I just don't think of that as being an element of the story because to me, Danny has less of an arc because she's. She's more of a force of nature in the whole show. She's like a device in the show. Because at some point, she will be pitted against the whole rest of the story that's happening. She's separate from the story. She's like a whole different story. 
But I, when I think of the story, I think, you know, what's going on with Jon Snow and Castle Rock is, you know, and Castle Black, Castle Rock. And Castle Black is like the big thing. Because that, first of all, brings his character to a head. And it's also going to show us what's going on with the Night's Watch and the Wildlings. Because right now we don't see that many Wildlings made it up the wall. But at the same time, and it's idiotic for them to attack Castle Black because it's one of the only places that he said was manned. Well, the other ones are—they could go anywhere. Well, the other ones are ready, though. That's why they're like they're—they're approaching that gate, I guess, and then going to be waiting, and then they're going to light the fire, and you know, then they're going to open the gates, and then I guess, but it still seems pointless when there had to be a gate on an unmanned castle that they could open up the same way, and they could completely bypass the Night's Watch. It shows you the limitation of their strategy because they think we're just going to go castle castle and destroy everybody and take over this whole land. It's like if you really were playing strategy, you would find like you would go to like a place like Winterfell and just pass the Night's Watch. You don't take roads. She said it herself, like you and your roads. Well, they have no idea what happened at Winterfell and stuff. They couldn't take that castle and stuff if it was armed. So I mean, but they John, can't take John castle doesn't know what happened. Either. John doesn't know what happened to it. So. I mean, it feels like they're just going to come upon Bran and them. Like, hey guys, what are you, what are you, what are you doing here? At some point, John's loyalty seems to be more based on the fact that he doesn't believe the wildlings have a chance. He's like, I don't think I'm betraying the Night's Watch. I think I'm leading these guys to their doom. Because you don't have to have a thousand guys at Castle Black to do this. And that's sort of his last well, appeal I, to the, her was so, like, let's I mean, not go. Th- you think they'd probably well, – an interesting thing is they bring back the White Walkers right at the end. That's how the season started in black, and you just hear battle, a White Walker battle happening, but they don't show it. And it seems like those all those points are converging, like the rest of the Night's Watch coming back, you know? Well, and Crash Bran and his company because, you know, that final stand, she's like, your brother is at Castle Black, and that's where you're taking – like, they're like, well, no, I already told you. I had a vision. He's not. It's like – but yeah, but it seems like that's where we're all headed. If we go there now, he will be there. Yeah, so you so, think about it. There, are, there are now there are four groups converging on the Castle Black. You have the remaining or five groups. You have Sam and what's and Gilly. They're approaching. You know that's where they're heading for. You have hope, maybe the rest of the crows that are gone nuts now approaching it. You have the um, what's his face, John, and then their actual group is actually getting there. Have Bran and them, who's actually getting yeah. And there. By the time they get there, and the White Walkers show, then it's like, well, this is all we're all going to have to team up. It's battle of five armies. It's like we have all these other armies here, but it's going to take us all to fight this one. So it's like that's what you have. You have these wild lanes converging, and whatever the hell is left of the Night's Watch, and then this sort of fourth group, you know, this third group of like small guys coming in, but that will hopefully galvanize that effort. Because the remaining living Stark Lord, you know, has got to have some kind of effect. Because, you know, everyone knows what's been going on. Yeah, you won't really... I, it seems like all that stuff is, has to lead to that somehow. I guess that, is, that, I guess that is the big set piece, because that's where the most groups are I would involved. think everything's headed in that direction. Like, this whole idea of, of attacking Casterly Rock, if they get to it this season, it seems like they'd have to get to it before... It, it's a lesser idea, but they may just leave that. That may become a bigger thing, or they may it may be just one of those things where we open up with an episode and like they already took it, you know? Because that's one of the things that happens. Is like this is our plan, and the next episode we have that, and then we see what becomes of that. 
because that's how half of these battles play out. Like we were saying, it's good that they don't have the money to show all the battles because it gets much more suspenseful to be like, oh, wait, what happened? It's like, yeah, we had a big battle and it played out this way, and now this is how things are. Yeah, but it seems like they'd show that one because, like I said, with the Danny one and then even the Castle Rock one, they're less important. We could just cut to Rob being, you know, taken over Castle Rock. Like, who cares? Because... Well, and that may be the way it ends. I think the the action that we want to see is what yeah, happens to Yeah, Black. you want to see John come face-to-face with people that he's like, whoa, whoa, you know, playing that two sides because he's not... And then also Bran getting there and those guys and Hodor and Asha, all those people are going to be getting there. And then amidst, they might get there, start fighting, those people show up, and then the White Walkers show up. They're like, holy crap. And they defend the wall, which is what the damn Night's Watch is for. You weren't here to defend against the wall. I mean, you have, and you have the, yeah, so you have the real Night's Watch. You have the Night's Watch that's still there, who are the Night's Watch. You have John with the Wildlings. You have Bran. You have the crazy Night's Watch, <laughs> and then you have the White Walkers. Those are five independent like groups of people, and Sam, yeah, no, so six, and Sam and Gilly. <laughs> yeah, if because they're making trying to make it to the wall too. So you imagine if this thing's gonna, it's called it's Reese's moments because it's just like chocolate in the peanut butter. Like you have these moments in a movie where just all of a sudden everything culminates. Yeah. Like, and that's what you're sort of building to is like you have all these people in a story in a story that's so disparate and, and spread out over so many different areas and locales you have so many characters pushing to one single point it's like they all have to reach it at the same time it's just too it's too satisfying to the story that if, to have them not all just get there at the same time and be like ooh now what yeah and you think too like we have to think about this as well as that remember this is the middle of the third book so it's not actually the huge climactic thing at the end of the book. And the way they do that brand story is they're rather talking about he needs to get above the wall and like their destinations past that battle. So it's like it would seem like this is like the helms deep, you know, in the middle of like two towers, like that half the big thing that happens in the middle. That, yeah. You know, which makes it a good place to end the season. And you can work in like whatever they do, the caster, the lock casterly rock you can sort of like put that in there and danny's arc whatever positions her you can work that in there but the the drama is in what happens here at yeah castle because Black. yeah That's with danny and rob like you both know that well he has enough people now rob's going to take over castle rock because nobody's there and then also with danny it's like well she has she's the she's the crux of this entire series she's gonna win <laughs> yeah, there's no real drama or suspense to what's going to happen there. I mean, they could lose people and it could get serious. They could her, lose a dragon but, maybe or two, but they're not going to like. <laughs> yeah, but the whole point is that she builds to be stronger and stronger. So you know she's not going to die because I was like that. That sort of upsets your whole concept of what's happening in the future of the story. <laughs> like if if her plight were to end, it'd be like, whoa, what, what, what are we building towards? Like nothing. So it'll be it'll be fun to see. It's good. it's interesting, but yeah, that's that's where I think the story is headed at this point. Is what we're going to see by the end of the season, and I'm sure there'll be some twists we didn't see coming. But that's what makes it fun. Well, okay. Well, I think that covered it. I think we're good. An hour and a half per episode. It takes us an hour and a half to talk about an hour long show on average. And that's just two of us. If we had three people, it would go on even longer. But but that's good. So we covered it. So we'll be back again uh, to talk about TV on whatever. Talk about TV on the throne. <laughs> Let's just talk about Game of Thrones. 
And uh, we'll have a TV Ate My Dinner out soon. I think we're going to talk about Iron Man in the next episode of TV Ate My Dinner, the new Iron Man movie. And then somewhere along the line, we'll be talking some more horror. I want to talk about this Hannibal show. I'm getting more and more into wanting to talk about this Hannibal show and, and where it comes from. So we get that on the horizon soon. And um, obviously, we'll come back for more TV on the throne and talk about the remaining episodes of the third season of Game of Thrones. So we get all that coming up. You can uh, you can see episodes uh, of this show on tvonthethrone.blogspot.com. You can also listen to episodes of this show and uh, TV at my dinner at tv8mydinner.com. You can follow TV at my dinner at, on Facebook. You can uh, or like us on Twitter or the other way around probably. And you can flip us on Google or whatever they do. <laughs> On Google Plus, I don't know. I don't know what the nomenclature is for doing flip things us. on the Google Plus. You can, you can flip us. You can probably you can, uh, Google us, us. Off on, <laughs> yeah, on on Google's. But uh, we're there too, and uh, we, we do every day. We get some people coming to the forum at forum.tv8mydinner.com to talk about Game of Thrones and other things. TV at my dinner. So we are we do, are getting some people back. To, to the forum as well but but we there's some discussion that always happens on Facebook so whatever your chosen forum is I guess that so we're out there your social poison whatever your social poison is <laughs> that's a great band name social, social poison, poison. <laughs> yeah it's awesome yeah that's that should have been the name of this show yeah. of, of the TV at my dinner show but, but so we're out there, and uh, we'll be back in the weeks to come with more and more episodes. Uh, as I speak again, we've we've used up all of our storage space, so we're on the very cusp of having new episodes released. How did it do it in but, a week? Uh, I thought it was like monthly. Well, see, but you think uh, we have so much per month, but it's based on whenever you put an episode out. So we're putting out, on average, two episodes a week, one for each show. So we end up filling it. So I always have to wait. Uh, like I'm like on the weekend. I'm like, here we go. It's like, oh, we don't free up till Tuesday. Why did I put episode out on Tuesday? But but so that's if you're like, why you know when will the new one drop? Like you know, our, our rabid listeners, when does the new one drop? They just can't wait. That's what happens, which is ridiculous because we're putting out way more material now than we normally. If you'd like to fund our bandwidth efforts, you can send donations to TV at my dinner. Time. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely not true. But we do we 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 we're completely pro bono. But that but that you're getting what you pay for on that <laughs> for your free entertainment. We will pay you to listen. But. Yeah, we, we do. It does seem like that because it, it does cost to do this show, and we reach out to people like this. Please, please, don't go away. Please come back. It's like you're making it weird, Sean. I'm just saying. You made it weird. Like maybe I, could, I could come to your house and we could hang out for a while. Like, I don't want to listen anymore. It's gotten strange. We could be friends. Yeah, like forever, like best friends, like blood friends, you know. We could be like uh, psychic blood brothers. Really, that reminds me of related to Game of Thrones. Did you see the SNL with Get- Zach Galifianakis? Because no. um, the guy that played the first sketch they did was like this Game of Thrones uh, game show, and um, the people were like, just like it's just like the three of them were like super nerdy, and Zach Galifianakis had like a dragon costume on, <laughs> and it's like, 
and they're ask, asking the other two just questions. They're like, you know, who is that? You know, Tywin is the Lord of what? You know, Cassie's like, Castle Rock. That's right. You know, and they, every time the guy got to uh, Zach Galifianakis, he's like, what is the capital of Idaho? <laughs> he's like, what? what? <laughs> he just he just kept asking them all these real questions. <laughs> and then it, it just like, and the, the host was like, this is awesome. He's like, what is the, what is the IRA Roth account? He's like, I, I don't. I don't ask me a Game of Thrones question. I don't like. And then at the end, he's like, "We have a special guest, and it's that Nikolai Waldo, the guy who plays Jamie. He was on there. And he comes out, and he's like, and then Zach Galifianakis is saying that he's like, I just want to be friends with you. If we could just hang out like once, it could be something. He's like, that's fine. Okay, uh, maybe so. I like your costume. He's like, he just answered just one question, like, what is today? What is the day of the week? And he's like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i thought at first it seemed like oh, i was like just making fun of you know like nerdy game of thrones fans but it became more of a funny kind of parody that people know so much about this don't know much about the real world <laughs> yeah that's what i feel like for myself yeah that, that is true so but I, I'm kind of ignorant. Like, it wasn't until we started doing this program that I that I knew anything about Game of Thrones either. So, well, so yeah, you don't. I never remember the name until you start talking about. It, you don't have to remember the names. You're like, oh, that's that guy. Yeah, that's that girl. Yeah. Getting getting into the first book and now going like actually paying attention and making notes and and doing these deep discussions has made it learning the people and the places more worthwhile. And it's much more helpful. Like, that guy, it's harder when you're doing a show, you're like, you know, that guy who killed his cousin, his brother. Yeah, that guy. Like, Jesus. Yeah, it's much It's much more helpful. It's, we killed him because he was his brother. Yeah. Like, if they were cousins, it wouldn't have even mattered to the story. Like, whatever. I'm just saying. It's much more... The one with the antlers on. When you read the book, it's like, I actually enjoyed that afterwards because you have faces for all those characters. They're much easier to remember. Well, and they're explaining right. everything. Like, in a, like it's the perfect marriage because I've already seen the exciting stuff and now you're just explaining the, the nuances of what happened. So it's like I'm much more open to the intellectual nature of the, the, the prose, you know, and I don't have to visualize it. Like you said, I've already seen it. It does make it a lot easier. It's, it's, it's the perfect cheat. Because I've seen all the exciting stuff, so it's easy for me to visualize the events. And now you're explaining to me the backstory, which I was, you know, too busy watching awesome things to pay attention to in, yeah. in the show. So it's like perfect, like a perfect marriage of elements. So I'm excited. I'm glad we're doing this, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that people seem to be digging it. And Anna Gretchen was on, on Facebook uh, saying that she was happy to be hearing from you. Oh, really? <laughs> I saw an, a comment from her, so I thought that was nice. Because we are hearing a lot from you this year, so that's nice. Yeah. So you have... Poor Greg. This is the year of no Greg. It's like we keep... He, every now and then he writes, he's like, just tell me when we're going to record. It's like, Greg, it's, it's like almost I'm, I'm every like the... Monday. <laughs> we have like a clark kent superman situation going on it's like i've never seen andrew and greg in the same room before <laughs> are they the same person is he like andy kaufman and uh what was the name of what was the name of his uh i can't believe i forget the name of his alter ego tony clifton was andy kaufman's uh alter ego that you never saw it in the same place but that's funny okay so we have that to look forward to I think I believe that Greg is planning to join us in our Iron Man episode for TV and dinner so you have that 
Sounds like we lost Andrew. That's all fine. We're all good here. My name is Sean. That was Andrew. And that's the end of the episode anyway. We're just simple men doing a simple job. And we'll be back next week with more awesome stuff. So we'll see you then. Dog crazy. Dog crazy.